Hello, and welcome to the Bite Size Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Shiroki, and today we are going to continue our look at the Law of Moses. I'm excited. We have a few more chapters left in Exodus. Right now, today, we're going to look at Exodus 38. Um, we're going to continue on with looking at some of the more... Um, Today's going to actually cover the making the altar of burnt offering, making the bronze levier, making the court of the tabernacle, and the materials of the tabernacle. So again, you know, there's a lot here. Um, It's kind of a, essentially, again, this is, um, we're at a stage right now in the law where it went from God explaining and instructing Moses on how to do all this to all of these um, different things actually being constructed. Again, the altars, the bronze levier, for example, the court of the tabernacle. Um, And um, it's exciting. It's good stuff. Um, It's very divine in how this whole thing is, um, you know, essentially constructed. Um, There's a lot of wisdom behind everything I see. Again, pretty incredible. things God is making as well with when it comes to um for example the golden lampstand I mean being made of 75 pounds of pure gold that's that's incredible you're talking I mean that's that's really something you would never see today I don't know that anybody has any one object in the world at this point that's made of 75 pounds of pure gold um I don't know I mean I'm sure excuse me I'm sure something exists out there but it's certainly not out in the public eye. Maybe it's in a museum or um, probably in a private collection somewhere and maybe someone's house. But uh, that's that's a lot of gold. And it just really shows you, one, <clears throat> excuse me again, the resources that, um, that were contributed during that free will offering. And it also shows you the um, reverence that they had for God and how serious they took all of what God told them and instructed them. And, you know, it's really incredible when you think about it from that perspective, because, you know, um, that's essentially giving their entire lives, you know, giving all they had, essentially, in a certain respect anyway, to have, you know, the Lord's will be fulfilled in, you know, this task and, you know, constructing all of these um, items. But, you know, that's what we're to do as well. We're to give him everything and um You know, look at how God blesses the nation of Israel. Look at how he honors his word all the time in ways that, you know, um, frankly, we in our modern society and world, there's so much out there, I guess you could say. So many options for different types of entertainment and other things that, um, you know, it... um, it really makes you, it makes me kind of stand in awe and say, uh, you know, I can understand when God says he's looking for a people that will just fully commit to him. Because now in the age of the Gentiles, the age of the church, you know, um, even a lot of the church, unfortunately, has fallen away. A lot of them have adopted uh, non-biblical worldviews, we'll say. And, um, It does nothing but hurt the church and the kingdom of God here on this earth. No one's doing anyone any favors by living a compromised life when it comes to Christianity. Um, It's an amazing experience to have God actually gather us, to have him 
work in our lives and to be his people and to stand up for him when we need to and to defend our faith when called upon. Um, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and the powers of darkness. And we must daily die to ourselves. We must put on the whole armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of his righteousness, gird our waist with his truth, put on the sandals of peace of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We must pick up that shield of faith to quench those fiery darts of the evil one. And also, finally, but definitely not a, a, any diminished um, you know, value when it comes to the order, if you will, but picking up that word of God, picking up that living word, the sword of the spirit, it's called the sword of the spirit for a reason. When we know this word and when we get into God's word and when we can wield God's word in our everyday lives, both in personal situations, in conversations with people, in our witness, when the word of God gets planted deep into our souls, into our hearts, into our lives, and it springs forth those living fountains that Jesus talks about, um, you know, that's what it's all about. Um, again, people can debate the validity of the Bible all day. They can debate a lot of things. But one thing they can't ever debate is what Jesus Christ has done in each and every one of our own personal lives. And they surely cannot debate the witness and the testimony of his people. And it's not always, a witness is not always a verbal thing. Witness is also living out what God commands us to do in his word. And it's essential and vital that we are fully yielded and obedient to the Lord in every area of our lives. It really is. I am tremendously blessed right now. God, I've been praying for so long to meet a woman that I would just love. But first and foremost, I wanted a woman that was of his choosing. And by his good grace, I can say he's finally put her in my life. And um, we love the Lord as much as each other can love, you know, the Lord. I had the same equal footing, I guess you could say. We're just, you know, we're on the same page. It's like we're custom made for each other. We have very similar backgrounds, very similar experiences, but um, thankfully I can say um, we've also uh, right away made the choice to do everything God's way and honor the Lord in every way that we possibly can. And it's just, it's an amazing uh, commitment and experience to actually finally have this type of relationship in my life that I've been patiently waiting and praying for for a long time. And, um, you know, it's amazing how God restores our lives, builds us back, forgives us, and um, truly puts us and sets us on our path that he has for us. Um, when he forgives us of our sin, he forgets our sin. He sets it a Middle Eastern term. He sets it as far as the East is from the West, meaning infinitely apart. 
They can never be, they, they're mutually exclusive to put it in mathematical terms or, um, you know, even, um, I guess, societal terms, if you will, or whatever you want to call it. But essentially what that means is they are just, they exist, they cannot coexist, essentially. Meaning God chooses to truly forgive and forget. And that's so humbling. I, I, I am absolutely humbled by the the amazing ability of God and ultimately it comes down to his love for us you know like John 3:16 you know it's so quoted and, and it's so well known but it's so deep for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life it is so simple yet it is <laughs> the spiritual implications of what's behind that verse are absolutely mind-changing and earth-shifting when we actually take hold of that truth and that truth is planted in our hearts and then watered by the amazing holy spirit and as that truth grows in our lives and god shows us who he is he's just incredible i'm so grateful i'm so thankful Again, I'm so humbled. When you see prayer <laughs> literally answered and materialized physically right in front of your eyes, that's a whole nother level right there of just creating faith and, and God showing us who he is. Because um, I'd call it nothing short of a miracle what I'm experiencing right now. And it's just absolute. It, I, I I just feel like I'm in a dream almost. And it's... um. A dream I never want to wake up from. It's it's like a whole other dimension of life has been added to my life. That's been, frankly, something I've wanted for a long time. But I just went about it the wrong ways. But here it is. And again, God's goodness is... <laughs> he's just amazing. I'm just so grateful and thankful again. So... Enough about my personal life and enough about of me gushing over my uh, over me or more. But um, I will say this: um, don't ever lose faith, because once you yield everything to the Lord and put Him first in every area of your life, He will give you whatever you ask for that is in His will. Maybe not right, you know, in His time for sure. But there's a good, good reason why it's in his time and not our time. So I'm sure if you've ever experienced things that I'm talking about, you know exactly what I mean when I say that. So without any further ado, let's take a look at Exodus chapter 38 as we continue our look at the Mosaic Law, also known as the Law of Moses. Okay, so like I said, we are going to take a look at Exodus chapter 38, starting in verse 1. We're going to go from verse 1 to verse 7. My Spirit-Filled Life, New King James Version Bible subtitles this section, Making the Altar of Burnt Offering. And it says, He made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood. Five cubits was its length, and five cubits was its width. It was square. And its height was three cubits. He made his horns 
excuse me, on its four corners. The horns were of one piece with it, and he overlaid it with bronze. He made all the utensils for the altar, the pans, the shovels, the basins, the forks, and the fire pans. All its utensils he made of bronze, and he made a grate of bronze network for the altar under its rim midway from the bottom. He cast four rings for the four corners of the bronze grating as holders for the poles. And he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. Then he put the poles into the rings on the sides of the altar with which to bear it. He made the altar hollow with boards. All right, so that again is Exodus chapter 38, verses 1 through 7. We're going to quickly take a look at the notes. We're going to flip back to Exodus 27 and look at the note for verse 1 there. Again, these chapters pretty much coincide, correspond to each other, if you will, because, you know, um, God gives the instruction first in the beginning, and then this is the actual execution of those instructions. So it says, the altar was seven and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, and four and a half feet tall. The altar was a type of the cross where Christ would offer himself as a pure offering before God on behalf of sinners. So, again, this is, you know, um, this is the burnt offering. This is where the Lord um, would, well, the high priest would enter and bring the sacrifice to be offered to the Lord for the sins of Israel, for the people. And it was taken very seriously for good reason, because sin is a serious problem in life. And um, there's, you know, it, it, it amazes me how people, you know, they'll, they'll laugh at even the word sin these days. But, you know, the, the sin, you know, God came to redeem the world from its sins. Um, again, uh, people kind of live like if God's not in our face and, you know, um, throwing down lightning bolts from heaven to kind of uh, get people in line that he doesn't exist or that his laws mean nothing. And, you know, uh, humanity has been fighting against, I mean, the Ten Commandments, you can't find them anywhere in public anymore here in America. America is a very backslidden country. I mean, we took a bit of a step forward last week when uh, Roe versus Wade was overturned. But for the most part, you know, um, this country is very, frankly, sadly, pretty godless. You know, um, anything's accepted under the sun except for Christianity, literally, which, you know, I was having a conversation yesterday, um, you know, with 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 my love and um we we were just it just astonishes you know us as christians and and uh, you know how people everything will be accepted but when it comes to the truth the christian the, the truth of god it's it's just hated and there's a lot to be said about that again the spiritual side of that is the fact that it cuts deep it cuts people real deep when the truth of god is spoken to them or even presented to them because they're in such a rebellious state that they want to hear nothing about it. They, um, they run from it. You know, it's, it's when the light 
you know, it's sort of like the, uh, when you're in a movie theater and, um, somebody opens a door and lets a light in, you know, and it's just, it's kind of blinding, you know, people would rather stay in a dark, dark existence and dark world instead of letting the light in. And, um, you know, there's <laughs> the light is a wonderful thing to be, to be, have shown upon you to stand in the light and to stand up for the light. Um, Jesus Christ is the light of this world. Um, you know, there's a lot of people I know that I can't even fathom how they call themselves Christians. But, you know, though, I, I think I, I, it really puzzles me when I think about it, because some of the people I know, um, you know, it's one thing to be just not know the Lord and just be a sinner. I can understand that you just that's a spiritual blindness. And, you know, until God calls them out of it, if if they respond, then, you know, that that's one thing. But to have known the Lord and then compromised to such a great extent where you're preaching universalism, where you're uh, condoning open sin, where you're um, just basically conforming to the world. And then you have the audacity to still call yourself a Christian. I mean, that's, you know, Jesus spoke very vehemently against people like that. And um, there, one of the biggest things he hates is lukewarmness, trying to keep one foot in the world and one foot out of the world. There's no place for it in the kingdom of God whatsoever. There are multiple times throughout the New Testament where there's a laundry list of sins that are mentioned that if you partake in these, you will have no part of the kingdom of God. There's no, no vagueness there whatsoever. So, um, and that includes preaching false gospels. Um, that includes leading people down false paths just to make them feel good because you don't want to confront them with, with whatever sin that might be in their life. But, you're doing no one any favors by living a compromised life as a Christian. I'll say that. I'll just put it out there and I'll just move on from there. But don't waste your time. It's better for you to have never have known the truth than to have known the truth and then compromised the truth to fit into the world of all things. This world that's going to be judged soon enough. This entire system that's going to be thrown into hell with Satan and the rest of the rest of his demonic angels, his fallen angels. You really want that? There's a lot of emotion right now going on in this country ever since Roe vs. Wade was overturned last week. And I've had my own personal, you know, uh, exchanges, I'll say, with, with a few people about it, which I mentioned a little bit briefly before, but in my past episode. But, um, you know, it is now is the time to take a stand. And, um, you know, it, there's, there's just no, uh, there's no time for compromise whatsoever, because, you know, um, we are all going to be held accountable one day, if nothing else, for what you did with the truth of the gospel and the knowledge of Jesus Christ that he gave to you. And that's something that, um, you know, I, I would, there's, again, multiple parables that Jesus spoke about basically giving out, divvying out different amounts of 
be them Talons or Minas, and saying, what did you do with what I gave you? And the most penalized servants are the ones who do nothing with what was given to them freely by the Lord to begin with. He asks one thing, go into the world and preach my gospel. By his good grace, I'm able to do this podcast so gratefully in my heart to share the love, the word of God with with the three people that listen to this. But it's absolutely mind-numbing to me how people, it, it just, God's really put it on my heart to really confront compromised Christians because he really needs everybody on fire for him. You know, I was in church this week and it was incredible. I, um, you know, we went through our normal service and then at the end of the service, when we, uh, we pray at the end of the service and I, you know, we close our eyes, bow our heads. And I had a vision of me looking from the ceiling down at the church, at the people in church and everyone was glowing white. It, I, it glowing white. And you know what everyone was, they were clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That vision was absolutely incredible. (laughs) Just thinking about it now, I'm really humbled. God does that to me sometimes. He just gives me visions like that and just gives me a perspective on what he sees. And thank God he sees what he sees and not what we see in people and things and situations. But when I saw that in particular, I understood to a small degree how God the Father sees us, his children. But it also showed me the power we have in the spiritual realm. We were clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, meaning nothing can come against you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Why would you want to compromise? Why would you want to? Why? It, it, it's, it's fruitless. It's fruitless. You know it's fruitless. It's, it's a waste. Don't even waste your time with that. Don't compromise. Don't sell out. This is so much deeper, though, than any worldly label or term uh, terminology I can use. This is life and death for, for yourself and for, for the people around you and, and for the people you know. You have to understand, when you have every area of your life committed to the Lord, every area of your life is changed and different. And when you don't, every area of your life is compromised. Every area. I know how sin festers. I know how a little bit of yeast leavens the entire loaf of bread. Meaning that it doesn't take much compromise to completely throw you off track of God's will for your life. And why would we want to waste our time doing anything on this earth after God calls us out of the world? Don't waste your time with the worldly garbage. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Hope break those chains of sin. It doesn't matter what it is. (laughs) 
there are things with my testimony I'll never share publicly because of the shame and because of the the uh, just embarrassment, frankly, of just some of my past actions. But by his good grace and mercy, he set me free 100%. And like I said earlier, he forgave me and forgot. He sets, he sets our sin. He doesn't, he doesn't remember it. He, he chooses to forget it. And when God chooses something and wants to do something, he does it. It's that simple. And he's our, he's our unconditional father, full of unconditional love for us, giving us all the grace we need to survive in life, filling us with his Holy Spirit, filling us with himself. The very same Holy Spirit that Jesus, when the dove descended out of heaven, and the father said, this is my, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, when he was baptized. That very same Holy Spirit is what dwells within all believers. What are you going to do with what he gives us? It's very important. It's stressed. Jesus himself, look. We could read the New Testament all day and the letters Paul wrote and, and everything, the Holy Spirit, the way he wrote through Paul was absolutely incredible. But just read the words of Jesus. If you don't, if you just want direct source, you know, you want to go direct to the source, read his words. Jesus spoke. He's out of everybody in the Bible. The one person that spoke the most about hell was Jesus Christ himself. He gave very thorough warning against living your own ways and not picking up our cross, becoming a living sacrifice and yielding fully to the Lord. Cause the reason he did that was because we really have no excuse. We have none. God equips us with everything we need. He gives us, he gives us his armor, spiritual armor of God. I put that on every morning when I pray, I have, I pray every morning. The first thing I do when I wake up, I don't even leave my bedroom before I pray. And one of the, and always part of that prayer is putting on that spiritual armor. It is uh, the spiritual realm is very real. Satan is real. Look at the way people are tossed to and fro. Look at the way people's emotions change with the wind, their opinions, who they are, their personalities these days. I mean, People can read a meme and have their whole life changed. How pathetic is that? Unless it's a, you know, unless it's a Christian meme of how the Bible, but when there's truth there, it's truth. But people are just, they're looking for anything these days to grasp onto. Um, and it's a sad reality, but again, focusing more on those people that are out there that are compromised. Don't be compromised. There's nothing to compromise for. Nothing. Nothing worth compromising for. I promise you that. I lived a compromised life for a long time. It got me nothing but pain, heartache, depression, uh, sadness, um, addiction, uh, you name it. And um, by his good grace, God reached his hand down from heaven and pulled me up out of the pit that I was in. And he'll do that for anyone that asks him and seeks him. Anyone. So please... Do it for him and do it for yourself and you'll, you'll be amazed 
at what God will do in your life. You, you, will, you will be blown away by what God can do. I like the testimony I saw yesterday with that guy with ADHD, you know, and Asperger's. Uh, that guy, uh, it, it's, it's all. It, it, I, I am filled with all when I see a story like that. Cause there's so many testimonies like that. So many, so uh, there, there's a, um, Billy Graham's, uh, Billy Graham Evangel- evangelical association. I think it is. They have an app and, um, one of, one of their, uh, little, um, I guess devotional sections you can listen to is called, I think, uh, what's it called? TGS truth, God stories, something like that. But, it's all just like 15, 20 minute long segments of testimonies of what God has done in people's lives. That's had me in tears many times because God is good. He's amazing. He's incredible. And he is, he's more alive than we are. <laughs> the fickleness of man to want to just be pleased by the senses. What we can see, touch, smell, hear, feel. Wow. Man, if you only knew the reality of what the spiritual realm is around us and how influential that is on everything that goes on around us in this physical realm. If you could see it for just a half a heartbeat, your entire life would be changed. I guarantee you'd believe in God after you see that. But I have seen it, and it's absolutely incredible. And I look forward to living in it someday and fulfilling whatever purpose God has for me in eternity. God has shown me a lot of things and I have a hunch about what my role, a similar type of role is going to be in eternity and in God's kingdom. It's almost like he's training me and equipping me here on earth and getting me ready for what he has in store for me there. And it's, I'm excited, but, uh, I'm also very content. You know, I have an amazing life right now and I wouldn't trade it in for anything in the world. So, all right, that's Pick up and continue with Exodus 38. We're going to look at verse 8 next. Cole, and this is uh, subtitled, Making the Bronze Levere. He made the levere of bronze and its base of bronze. From the bronze mirrors of the serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So we're going to flip back to Exodus 30 now and look at the note for verses 17 through 21 that this goes into a little more detail again we looked at this when we did cover exodus 30 but i just want to recap and uh just just refresh ourselves with the levir um the levir was used by the priests to clean excuse me to cleanse their hands and their feet this was a type of christ's cleansing us from the impurities of the world amen all right And then we're going to look at uh, verses 9 through 20 next, where this is talking about making the court of the tabernacle. It says, again, we're in Exodus chapter 38, where Moses speaking says, or I should say writing, authoring says, Then he made the court on the south side. The hangings of the court were of fine woven linen, 100 cubits long. There were 20 pillars for them with 20 bronze sockets. The hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver. On the north side, the hangings 
were 100 cubits long with 20 pillars and their 20 bronze sockets. The hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver. And on the west side, there were hangings of 50 cubits with 10 pillars and their 10 sockets. The hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver. For the east side, the hangings were 50 cubits. The hangings of one side of the gate were 15 cubits long with their three pillars and their three sockets. And the same for the other side of the court gate. On this side and that were hangings of 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. All the hangings of the court all around were of fine woven linen. The sockets for the pillars were bronze. The hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver. And the overlay of their capitals was silver. And all the pillars of the court had bands of silver. The screen for the gate of the court was woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine woven linen. The length was 20 cubits, and the height along its width was 5 cubits, corresponding to the hangings of the court. And there were four pillars with their four sockets of bronze, their hooks were silver, and the overlay of their capitals and their bands was silver. All the pegs of the tabernacle and of the court all around were bronze. All right, so pretty awesome stuff. Again, just getting very descriptive with the tabernacle. And we're going to look at the notes next for Exodus chapter 27, verses 9 through 19, where, again, it's still talking about the... Um, the tabernacle and the construction. So let's look here. So the notes say the court around the tabernacle was 150 feet long and 75 feet wide and marked with outer limits of the holy precincts. It was a large open air place of sacrifices. Of bronze shows that the farther one got from the most holy, the lesser the value of materials. This symbolized the need to be special to approach God fully. So I do still love that whole concept when I think about it of, you know, God um, basically instructing them to use the finer material, the finest materials that we know of on this earth. Think about that. Think of all the gold that was used to do all this. Um, that's another thing. I mean, when people doubt, when they say the Bible, they, they call it fiction or they compare it to fictional novels or books or whatever. I mean, it's just such ignorance. It's such foolishness. I mean, these things existed. This, this happened. You know what I'm saying? Like Jewish people can trace their roots back to, to usually most of the um, Jewish people are members of the 12 tribes of Israel. So it's very anti-Semitic to deny the Bible and its validity. But it's also um, it's just really it's very uneducated. It's very um you know, it's, it's a lack of historical knowledge, frankly. Um, and a lot of that's kept under wraps because, look, a lot of academia, a lot of educated people, quote unquote, they, they want nothing to do with the Bible. <laughs> the last thing they want to do is confirm the validity of the Bible. But just look at archaeology, you know, look, look at all the digging that they do, especially over in Israel. They keep finding everything in the Bible, you know. It, it's not coincidence. It's not made up. It's true. It's fact. It's, it's there. And also, um, you know, when you look at the Big Bang Theory, theory, hello, still theoretical, theoretical physics, theoretical um, astrophysics, 
as fun as it is to talk about, is as valid as uh, Star Wars and Star Trek. So, you know, when you want to talk to me about Big Bang and, uh, you know, you want to talk, call my, my source material here fictional, well, yeah, okay, let's talk about the theory of evolution, too. Never has there been any scientific proof of either of those things, yet a majority of the world buys into them and puts their faith in them. You know, the, the science of religion is very real. It's very um, potent in our society, and it's very it's used very strategically to try to deny the truth that exists in this holy living word of God. So um, we're going to finish up now with Exodus chapter 38, verses 21 through 31. All right, and this is going to be materials of the tabernacle, again, covering just, uh, well, the materials that are used. So here we go. This is the inventory of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony, which was counted according to the commandment of Moses for the service of the Levites by the hand of Ithamar, son of Aaron, the priest. Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord had commanded Moses. And with him was Ahalab, Ahalab, the son of Ashamach, I'm sorry, I'm butchering these names, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and designer, a weaver of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine linen. All the gold that was used in all the work of the holy place, that is, the gold of the offering, was 29 talents and 730 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And the silver from those who were numbered of the congregation was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A becca for each man, that is, half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, for everyone included in the numbering from 20 years old and above, for 603,550 men. And from the hundred talents of silver were cast the sockets of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil. 100 sockets from the 100 talents, one talent for each socket. Then from the 1,775 shekels, he made hooks for the pillars, overlaid their capitals, and made bands for them. The offering of bronze was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. And with it, he made the sockets for the door of the tabernacle of meeting, the bronze altar, the bronze grating for it, and all the utensils for the altar. The sockets for the court all around, the bases for the court gate, all the pegs for the tabernacle, and all the pegs for the court all around. All right, so that concludes Exodus 38. Now we're going to take a look at the notes here for that section where it says, The summary of the materials used in the tabernacle emphasizes its opulence, and the people's free will giving. So again, I mean, you see the abundant amount of resources that they were blessed with to construct the uh, tabernacle and the reverence people had for the Lord. Um, 
if you remember, everyone was to give a half a shekel, you know, regardless of their status in life, um, be you rich or poor, so that everybody had an equal input, if you will, or maybe equal stock, so to speak, in uh, in the tabernacle itself. Pretty interesting point there. But um, that's going to really conclude Exodus 38. But before we wrap it up, they actually do a little... Uh, word wealth here that I want to get into. This is a word wealth for tribe, mate, rod, staff, branch, tribe. Originally, mate meant branch, as in a tree or a, on a vine. Since a patriarch's rod or staff comes from a branch, mata, mate, however you say it, naturally describes such a rod. Finally, mate is used for a tribe of people. Possibly because a tribe was united under a tribal staff, but more likely because it was seen as a branch of the family. This is certainly true of the tribes of Israel, which developed from the growing families of Jacob's 12 sons. In English, we also refer to a certain branch of one's family. This concept receives further enforcement in Romans chapter 11, verses 17 through 24, where Paul speaks of the branches as groups of people, showing that the family tree of God's household consists of branches from from two sources, the native Jewish branches and the branches God has chosen from among the Gentiles. Another word for tribe is Shavet, which means rod, staff, tribe. Mate and Shavet are used interchangeably in reference to the tribes of Israel. So, <laughs> coincidentally, you know, there goes a little mention of the tribes of Israel, as I um, mentioned a little earlier in this episode, and a little bit of a different reference. But uh, that's basically, you know, again, um, the Jewish people, their entire history is outlined throughout the entire Old Testament. And the more the archaeologists dig over there, the more they find. And um, I don't know. I mean, people should do their homework before they start mocking things and calling them false and comparing them to um, true fictional texts because there's nothing fictional about the Bible whatsoever. It's a living word of God, and it's our very source to get to know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his Father and the amazing Holy Spirit that we are blessed to have in us and around us right now in this world. So until next time, we're going to, we have two chapters left in the book of Exodus. We're going to look at Exodus 39. Then we're going to finish off with Exodus 40 in the next couple episodes. And then we'll be moving into some New Testament study for a little while. Then we'll come back and then we're going to knock out and look in Leviticus. So that should be fun. (laughs) All right. So until then, God bless and have a great day.